Hi, I'm Kurt, and this is Gigging Stories. one of my favorite parts of gigging happened when we took breaks. The older musicians would stand around and tell funny stories about things that happened on gigs. Most of the world doesn't get to experience this rich and hilarious part of music making, so I created gigging stories. Each episode features a guest and me swapping stories from gigs. So enjoy, and if you have a story to tell, please send me a message. Okay, my guest for this episode is Matt McGee, who I knew years and years ago, a little bit in Tampa, and we were just catching up. Uh, Matt said I even played his uh, recital at uh, USF. What year Which would I'm that sure have been? you remember thoroughly. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, would have been, oh, would have been 03 or 04. Okay. Now, it's funny, you know, when you, get, when you get into the place when you're doing like university work like that, and you're playing... 50 recitals for students oh, sure. a year yeah. or something like that over the course of 20 years you mostly remember the ones where something really terrible happened right <laughs> so that bodes well for me <laughs> it wasn't that exactly. awful <laughs> yeah. exactly uh, right exactly yeah. right so anyway um, that's gonna yeah. tell us a story go ahead yeah okay so back this was Oh, I, I was a freshman in college, uh, so I was like 18, 19, and I was playing in the contemporary service at my church, and there's this guy's name. Oh, should we change names for the... No, you don't have to. Segment? Okay, great. So the guy's name was Manny. Um, really interesting guy. He played percussion, congas, good musician, and uh, and I thought he was just the coolest guy ever, you know. The only... He was a character. Uh, if there was ever any security issues, for some reason, people went to get Manny and never mm -hmm. like explained why. The only thing I ever knew about his day job was that he worked down at the docks, like whatever oh. that may mean. Um, but anyway, so Doc worker Manny, by day, conga player exactly, by night. Exactly. Like yeah. Um, so so Manny calls me up and he's like, "All right, I got this salsa gig. A friend of mine from Orlando is putting it together. We need a keyboardist. Are you in?" I'm like, "Wow, sure. I guess I never played salsa. I don't. But like, are you sure you don't have anybody better?" Um, and so no, you know, you can do it. We'll rehearse. You know, okay, just get me the charts and I'll you know tell me the recordings. I'll I'll, I'll put the work in and get it done. Um, and it paid like, it was an all night gig, but it paid 800 bucks, which oh. as an 18 you year bet. old, like I'll do a lot of work for that. So, <laughs> right. so I was definitely on it. Um, so, you know, time goes on and like, like, Hey Manny, where are the charts, man? Like, I need, I need to learn this music. <laughs> like, I know you, like, this is your wheelhouse. It is not mine. I need to get these. It's, oh, look, look, my, my buddy's got them. He'll get them to you. I think maybe even one time I, I, I ended up on a phone call with the guy. I don't remember his name. But we'll say Steven uh, from Orlando. And he's like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We'll bring the charts to the gig. 
Oh, great. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, turns out as we get closer, it's at the, the home shopping network or QVC, which I think are the same thing. And they have this massive facility over in Clearwater. Right. Um, so no rehearsal, uh, we're, we're scheduled to get in there and supposedly we're going to rehearse. I'm going to get this music. I don't know why I didn't quit before any of this, probably just out of pure ignorance and stupidity. I should have walked away from a gig that was going to be a disaster. Um, so I load up my keyboard and drive it over the night of, um, I've got a, you know, a suit on ready to figure out what's going to happen here. And the gig, it was, it was overnight. So it started at like 8 PM and then we were done at like 6 AM and we had, Oh, it was really all night. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Uh, showings throughout there. And then I, I think even that first one may have gone in subsequent nights. Cause we would have like, we came back like that late afternoon or something like that. But anyway. So we get over there and, uh, you know, you go through security, you got to figure out where are we even going? Of course, nobody's even heard of it. Um, find the place, get my stuff loaded in. We're, we're in the studio. They've got a professional sound guy who's setting everything up. So it turns out the gig is for this guy named Giovanni. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like salsa. But whatever. Um, I meet the guy, Steven, from Orlando. He comes in. Of course, there's no charts. Like, oh, dude, what are you getting me into? <laughs> well, I, we're about to be on TV. Right. <laughs> Nobody right. knows this music. Like, why am I the only one freaking out here? A um, couple of other friends. Uh, Betsy from, from USF is there, too. And under the same, like, I don't, I don't know what we're playing. Like, She's a string player. She was, yeah. Very, very talented cellist. Um, yeah. And I, she went on to do a lot of gigs with Giovanni, actually. But um, so, so Manny's there, you know, he's, he's talking me down, like, and, and we get in. Finally, it's rehearsal time. So we walk in, in comes in Giovanni with his, you know, little entourage. And Giovanni, if you haven't seen him on the Home Shopping Network, it's, it's everything you would expect from a pianist on the Home Shopping Network. It's like, <laughs> it's like Yanni... Yanni light. <laughs> like it's, it's like, you know, he's got like the, the white flowing hair. He's uh-huh. a tall guy. He's got this accent. Uh-huh. that's indeterminate. Like uh-huh. he could have been Joe from the Bronx and he's just like putting on this thing. Right, right. He's of course got the kind of slightly sleazy manager that you can't ever quite figure out where they're coming from. What's, what's the dress code? What it was? How uh, yeah. Doing? So, so the dress code, um, <laughs> they've, uh, I'm in, I'm in a suit. Everybody else is kind of in just like general, you know, what, what you might wear for a performance, kind of just brightly colored shirts, black pants. Um, they asked me to take off my jacket and I think I had like a tuck shirt or maybe just another black shirt on it. Cause they wanted Giovanni in the jacket, which is, uh-huh. oh, that's fine. I get it. Um, and, uh, so we get into this rehearsal and we're, we're about to launch into the music and I'm like, okay, I guess I will just figure these songs out as we're playing them. Right. So they're not salsa at all. They're, they're what, what Giovanni did, and I, I guess maybe he still does, it, it's, it's all like public domain type stuff. So say like Amazing Grace or like a Celtic folk song or stuff. And he does nice piano versions and he puts MIDI background tracks to them and he puts them on an album and he sells them. Good for him. And a um, bunch too. I looked him up. Oh, a tons. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, the sales <laughs> okay. in a minute because that was a whole nother world. So we're all set up. Like keyboard is hooked up, tested in the sound system. Trumpet player is mic'd. Um, we don't have a full band, which I thought this is like, 
like we have a keyboard, we have congas, we have a trumpet player, and we have a cellist. Like that's not really a. Like, and, like, and, he's got, and he has a piano, I'm assuming. He has a piano. Yeah, he had a Bosendorfer of all things, okay, just to okay. make this weirder with the extra octaves down at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he sits down and we go through the music. But right before we start, they look at us and say, okay, what we really need you to do is smile a lot and look like you're playing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Manny and I shoot each other a look. And I look back at him and I'm like, oh, like this? And I just put on the biggest schmaltz <laughs> I think on the keyboard. And they're like, you're great. You're so awesome. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so, you know, all panic drains from, from your head at that point. <laughs> Uh, and we walk out of rehearsal before the gig and Manny just looks straight at me and I get the feeling he knew this the whole time. <laughs> that he sent me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, is that the easiest money you ever made in your life or what? Like, <laughs> It's so funny because I hadn't heard of these and then we started this yeah. podcast and John Conahan told me a story about it and right before I started this podcast, oh, wow. my friend Robert Farago did, played the same gig where he had to show up oh, and no pretend yeah. like he yeah. was playing and that was it. And you just oh, pretend yeah. like you're playing and they're playing tracks over top. <laughs> 800 bucks for the night. It was amazing. And they loved me. I brought my accordion, which they thought was the coolest thing. It fit into the, it fit into the folksy vibe, you know, um, which that was a little bit tricky. And I, I guess Betsy had this problem too, because like you, you actually are making sound. You have to figure out how to do it. But by the end of the night, I mean, these, like we probably could have made pass at these songs live because you've played them a hundred times, you know. Uh, he would do... Um, so he would always say to the cameras before we would do a show, like, okay, okay. And he would do it in this elegant, slightly sleazy way. Like, don't show the camera at my hands. Like, don't, don't make sure you're not looking actually at my hands while I'm playing because I can't time it up. And a couple of times he would do this super awkward count off for a song where he would look at the band and kind of uh-huh. wave his finger like a conductor, but it would start with a piano solo. <laughs> so he had to like <laughs> jump back to the keys before the, before the camera shot back at him. Oh, oh man! Yeah, so we did we did those, and, and in between the gigs, you know, because I was just wearing this white shirt, and they didn't want me. I, I go over to the mall, and I made a little money. So I, I went into like I don't know what possessed me to go into Hot Topic, and I found this blood red velvet shirt nice. that I got that I thought this is going to work well, and of course they loved that. They loved that even more. <laughs> yeah, they thought that was oh great, like, and they loved me like showing initiative or whatever. I'm like you're paying me eight hundred bucks to stand here, like I'll That's wear whatever right. you want me to wear. <laughs> um and uh that the shirt like became a talking piece like when people would it would be like hanging out like in my house like my wife was like what is going on here why do you have this vampire <laughs> shirt in awesome. your closet that's awesome oh. yeah uh, okay he would yeah he would um you were talking about the sales uh he would do because they had the monitors turned back at you um, and they had the um, kind of the person doing the sales pitch there. Uh, so, you know, if, if things were dipping, they had metrics right there on the screen. I remember one in one hour, I believe he sold 15,000 units. I know that, it's like, 15 bucks an hour <laughs> and good for him. Like whatever musical you're a musician, then you can like, make that kind of money. Good for you. I, hey, that's right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, yeah, probably I know the sound guy because I have a friend that's been like the sound guy at HSN for like 
a billion oh, okay. years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. This guy, he did, he did Esteban, which was the guitarist around that time period too. Um, although I, I've, I've heard Esteban actually played live in the studio mm. uh, without the tracks, but, but I don't know. tell you a story about some colorful characters myself yeah. and this was um i think it's one of the interesting things about being a musician in that you know a lot of uh talking corporate america kind of stuff is that they want it to be a meritocracy in some sense of the word oh, yeah. even yeah. though in real life people sort of pay their dues coming up and in music there's a certain sense in which that's true but in another real yeah. sense music is really a meritocracy in a way that I think other fields aren't so that if you have chops when you're young you get put into context where you're playing with people that are much much older than you I mean if people oh, don't sure. care about yeah. your age your sex your whatever your right. anything they care about whether you have the chops to play I mean yeah. speaking of back in in those days when when um when I was working at USF when I went into that first audition with Bob Summer I brought a, a uh, a CV with me that listed all of my accomplishments and handed it to nice. him and he threw it on the floor. That sounds <laughs> exactly said, like Bob Summer. <laughs> he said, I really don't care about any of this. I just need to know if you can do the job or not. And right. that's the way it is in music. So you wind up playing gigs with guys that are 20, 30, sometimes 40 years older than you when you're pretty young. And two of the guys that used to play a lot are on gigs with me, and I think of them together, uh, are these two guys that were called Schwartz and Bill. And Schwartz was a, a bass player. I mean, sorry, Schwartz was a bass player. And the other guy was named Pate, who I mentioned before on the, on the, on the, um, uh, 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 on the podcast, on the very first podcast that I did uh, with this with Smokey Robinson, where Smokey Robinson oh, called yeah. him out after the solo and said, Kurt Connect on the saxophone. <laughs> uh, these guys were consummate musicians, and it seemed like I played with them forever. But besides the fact that they were older and they were so good, they were both just bananas. And that made you know, you know, when you were a young kid coming up and you were playing with these guys that were so good at their instruments and just never seemed to make mistakes but they were also just completely bonkers made you want to be like them even more so oh, sure. like yeah. so like um the last time i saw pate actually in real life i was i used to go walking out in the woods at upper tampa bay park and they have these long trails and i was about a mile into the woods in the middle of nowhere and i heard this sound I thought it was either a Florida panther or a bear, but something large was coming through, like, not on a path, like through the jungle, <laughs> just making oh, wow. all of this noise, and all of a sudden, crashing out of the underbrush on a bicycle was Pate, like, in the middle of the woods, and he oh, just, like, rode into the trail <laughs> right in front of me, and, I, you know, I was tempted to go down on one knee and go, you know, Kurt, connect on a bicycle, ladies and gentlemen, or whatever, but... Um, <laughs> 
so that and and Schwartz, I I always thought he was bonkers because like this was back when we used to play occasionally at the dog track because the dog track oh, had wow. a live band for a long time. Nice. And one time we had to play an outside gig at the dog track. I was like, <laughs> Good. there's got to be some great stories about uh, the dog track. <laughs> I didn't play that many of the dog tracks. Some oh, okay, of the other okay. guys used to play there more, but I played occasionally. And one time we had to play an outside gig. It was 45 degrees and, and, and Schwartz sets up his bass, sets up his gear and then pulls out like a giant space heater and just plugs it in in oh. front of him and lets the space heater blow on him the entire time that he plays. Oh, He's like, I'm Lord. not going to be cold. He was crazy. One time and this I is played, in Tampa. <laughs> yeah. One time I played, one time I played a, a production of Into the Woods with him at a university, and he loved uh, sports so much. He was not going to miss sports. So he brought, um, and this was a long time ago. We didn't have like, like, like cell phones and stuff. He wasn't going to miss the Stanley Cup. So he brought a television along with him <laughs> to the gig. He put it in the pit with him. Set it up on his stand and awesome. and and uh, put headphones on and watched the Stanley Cup the entire nice. time we played the musical, and he never missed a note. I was just like stunned. That's great. And he was watching a hockey game. So anyway, these two guys could also be volatile. So these stories both come from uh, back in and during this time. I was the assistant music director to a thing called the Broadway Theater Project because this lady named Anne Reinking, who was this famous Broadway star, started this sort of three-week camp in Tampa in the summers. And it's kind of crazy to think about now, but I mean, at the time, you know, I'm 18 years old and I'm like playing tap class for Gregory Hines and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. And all these yeah. stars, I mean, Dudley Moore was there and Tommy Toon and, and all of nice. these. Broadway. It was It was a fun gig, except for the fact that the music director didn't really know what she was doing. So it caused some tension sometimes. Yeah. And what would happen was the conducting was so bad that things would start to fall apart. And mm. as things would fall apart, she would start yelling at the band more and more. And the problem was the conducting. So right. everybody's been in these situations before yep. where, <laughs> right, you know yeah. that when yep. the conductor's not that good, but they're getting frustrated at their own lack of ability and they take it out yeah. on the musician. Yeah. So, the two stories that come from, you know, just that context. One was a dress rehearsal where during the first half of the rehearsal, things were falling apart and falling apart. Conductor's getting more and more angry. She's yelling at the musicians, yelling at the musicians. The artistic director and ranking is starting to yell over the conductor and say, Kurt, fix this and all of this going on. And so we go on break and the musicians decide to punish the conductor by um, the second half of the rehearsal by following her conducting. <laughs> <Right>. Nice. <laughs> it's the, the best revenge it's right the there. <laughs> it's the ultimate. Insult. <laughs> so all the musicians get together and they're so angry. They're like, this is what we're going to do. We're we're gonna gonna do follow yeah. her conducting. <laughs> this. That's great. And the, I mean, essentially it ground the rehearsal to a stop because this person couldn't even do a basic four pattern in time so oh, there would no. always be wow. like yeah there would always be some rushing around beat four so we started playing super lopsided and all of that. oh wow and the rehearsal yeah. and if you ever worked with choreographers they really care about tempo and consistency <laughs> <laughs> so 
so she started yelling at the band more and more, and the band's getting angry and angry. And Schwartz, I've never seen anything like it. And this shows you how volatile they were. He finally got frustrated, took his stand, threw it, took all his music, threw it in the air, and let it all fall to the floor. Nice. Picked up his chair in the pit, turned it around, faced his back to the conductor, and played the rest of the show facing me <laughs> without any music. Oh, oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Nice. And Pate could also be pretty volatile. This was from a different year, but it was kind of, uh, it's the same gig. So we were doing a dress rehearsal. And the dress rehearsals took place in the Performing Arts Center that was in downtown Tampa. Uh-huh. And back then, I don't think this is as true anymore, but back then the equity guys that worked um, backstage, you know, in the equity union, they hated the musicians union. I don't know why, but there was just like (laughs) constant tension and hatred between the equity guys and musicians. And um, when you played those gigs, so you go in backstage and you have to go through this little door and you walk down a staircase and then you walk along a cement wall that's underneath the stage. And then you sort of turn left and walk up the staircase into the pit. So we got up and got ready for this, um, for playing uh, this rehearsal. And um, I started to push the piano to adjust it to where we needed it to go. Uh And immediately one of the equity guys runs over and says, no, 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 you can't, you can't move the piano. You know, you're not covered by insurance. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. Will you come move the piano for us? And the guy was like, "Um, no. And we're like, why not? And he's like, because I only move chairs. I don't move pianos. I oh, lovely. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. So we're like, well, will you go get the guy that moves the pianos <laughs> so that we can get this adjusted? Yeah. So we're, all the guys are getting set up. And Pate's got his saxophones. He's pulling them out, putting them up on the stands and stuff like that. And uh Finally, the guy that moves pianos comes down in the pit and he comes walking up the stairs. And as he comes walking through the pit, he sort of accidentally, I don't know accidentally how much, he sort of kicked one of the empty saxophone cases a little bit. And Pate, who tended to be pretty volatile and the musicians are already on edge because of the bad blood between the unions or whatever, reaches down, grabs that empty alto case and hurls it through the air as hard as he can about 30 feet into the concrete wall where it goes boom and it just makes this big boom and and like it stops everybody in the whole building stops what they're doing and the equity guy that was walking through the pit that had kicked it said good that's exactly how I would have moved it if it would have still been in my way and they're like oh geez so then he moves wow. the piano, and typical, this is actually why we have unions at all, the, the directors of the project wouldn't stop rehearsing, wouldn't stop rehearsing, union called for break, wouldn't stop rehearsing. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations yeah. before, but uh, when they're rehearsing for hours and hours and don't give you a break, the equity guys just shut the lights off on it everybody in the middle of, of the rehearsals <laughs> yeah i know because if you yeah. don't give them their break and you keep going over yeah, they're done they'll yeah. just they're just done so they yeah. shut off the lights in the middle of the rehearsal the band can't see nothing you know like that 
So they're like, we're on break now. And so everything stops. We go on break. We come back from the break. And we're getting ready to open the curtain, but we've got one or two numbers to run back through on the on this before the curtain opens. And so we all start playing. And Pate's not there. Mm. And so we have to start without him. And the conductor, who's getting, again, progressively angry and yelling at all the musicians while we're playing, she's yelling at each individual musician do you know where he is do you know where he is like, i don't know where he is maybe he took his discussion with the equity guy outside <laughs> break. we don't know what happened finally we're still playing about 10 minutes in to whatever we're running through and pate comes walking back in about 10 minutes late after he was supposed to be there he sits down in the pit the conductor says, where were you? And we can all hear what's going on, even though we're playing. And it's kind of soft music at the time. Pate says, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was in the bathroom and I ran a little late because I, I found the union guy that unzips your pants, but I couldn't find the union guy that aims for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, think I, I don't think i've wow. ever been in a pit situation before where wow. a rehearsal had to stop because the entire band started laughing so hard you know? <laughs> woodwind players are trying to play and they're like <laughs> to their instruments and the whole band got broken up so much that the rehearsal had to stop again that's amazing it was it was a lot of fun uh, to play with those guys but they were yeah. absolutely bananas and you never knew what they were gonna do on a game. right 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 oh that's good stuff mm -hmm. oh man <laughs> yeah the um one of the other odd things about the home shopping network gigs because we're overnight right like we're you know, last one was at 4 a.m. and then at 6 a.m. or yeah. something like that. The number of people around USF and in my family that would like come up to me after, because I didn't tell anybody about this, right? Like, <laughs> like this wasn't one that you like brag about. Um, they would come up to me, hey, I saw you on the Home Shopping Network last night. Like, four o'clock in the at morning. At 4 a.m. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I remember Rick Zelensky, the director, even he was yeah. like, oh, wow, hey man, I saw you on that. How'd you get that gig? I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I had an uncle that like bought all the CDs because he thought I was like actually playing on the CDs oh, nice. and then I had to break his poor heart. <laughs> like, man, I, no, I don't, I don't play that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, good times. Good times. Well,